Gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray thanks that just as we are, in no matter what kind of expectations or life we have or whatever's going on, that we can come to you and that you can make us all that you can, regardless of what the world, regardless of what our hearts and minds, regardless of what anything else says. And we praise you for that. We praise you that you modeled in Jesus that you are a God of power, but also of humility and stillness. A God who can overcome evil, but yet also rest in the darkness. That you are a God who listens, although you know every thought that has ever been thought, every action ever undertaken, but yet you listen to our hearts and minds that you became like us, that we may be like you. We praise you for who you are, God, and pray that as we turn our attention to temple matters, that you are indeed working in and through us as we continually come to you each and every day, each and every hour, for some of us each and every minute or second, to be like you. We thank you, God, for being our God, for being able to do this in us. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know what it was like. It's like riding a bicycle, but I kind of felt like I fell off last week. I feel better this week. Just in kind of getting the... I, I actually came in and actually practiced with the clicker. You got to do these things whenever it's been seven months. Speaking of clicking, though, what I did mess up last week, uh, I do invite you to, once again, take out your cell phones, take out uh, your internet-connected tablets. Yes, I am telling you to bring these out and join in. There are going to be a couple questions. If you don't have the capability, I do invite you to uh, maybe whisper to someone if you want to still be included. You can even text me, and I'll put it in as well. We will be doing this in a couple minutes. And while I kind of messed it up last week, I want to try this again because this is an amazing way to be able to include not only those of us who are gathered here, but also those who are gathered at home. And once again, I do invite you at home to especially participate as uh, we want your input too and you to be involved as well. So I'm going to leave this up for another 30 seconds or so. Uh, Haggai is an interesting book in the fact that, unlike other prophets, he comes at a time and the language around his prophecies, the language about how God came to him and spoke through him, different than other prophecies, but it's also one of the most (sighs) integral post-exilist prophets, along with Zechariah, in the fact that it talks almost exclusively about the temple of God, which we looked at last week. Last week, I tried to make the case for a couple of things. I'll review here in a minute. But if you had any questions about that, or if you have any questions today, we're going to start something new for the time being. It may be a bad idea. It may be a good idea. Who knows? We're going to include in every service for a little while, just to try it out, an interactive Q&A, interactive question and answer for those who are gathered here, as well as those who are home. In the messaging, in the polling app, there's actually a messaging feature. If you want to mess with that, I will be monitoring it. But if you don't want to do that, you can also 
look at this email. I specifically, I created this email this morning specifically for this purpose. It's circle, if you can't read it, circleqna at gmail.com. Feel free to email in questions if your kids have any questions at home, and we will take five minutes uh, after communion, and I'll try to answer whatever I can and have a quick discussion if that's helpful. So, it may be a bad idea, maybe a good idea, it may just be a neutral idea, but we're going to try it and we'll see how it goes. As I said before, our expectations have been all over the place this year. And I need not remind many of us of that. Many of us are still living that uh, and still dealing with that every single day. I do want to ask, though, two questions after this question. Everyone look on your phones and actually answer what you think the answer is. It should be open now. This is a test question, but honestly, I've been pondering this since my youth. So if you can form any uh, help on this, that would be much appreciated. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood, in your opinion? And it says more than 10 pounds, less than 50 kilograms, around 80 decigrams, or as much or he or she wants. This is a test one, so humor me for a second if you would, um, just to make sure that we all are working here. Um, I should have just asked, what even is a woodchuck? Either you don't care and you're waiting for me to go on, or you don't know either. This is the thing about nursery rhymes. They're actually really deep. All right. We will continue here in just a second once we get um, a couple of people on board. So the answers, according to Circle Church of Christ, uh, we've got 29 out of 34, so we'll wait just a minute. to try to let everyone respond who's logged in. The answers, according to us, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck, are as follows. We're a very empowering crowd. You can do what you want, Woodchuck, just, you know, have fun with that. How many did not know how much a decigram is? No, don't. It's okay. It's a metric system. All right. Thank you for that test, and uh, we will move on to actually the more pertinent questions here in a minute. Thank you for making sure we're all on the same page. Does anyone have any problems? Raise your hand, and we'll try to, uh, we'll try to address that. When it comes to expectations, whether it's how much wood a woodchuck could chuck, or more important things, here's the question I want to ask this morning. Do you feel that you and your immediate family are more connected or less connected than you were seven months ago? Do you feel that you and your immediate family are more connected or less connected than you were seven months ago? Seven months ago, obviously, was when this whole COVID business started more or less, at least isolation and quarantine. Seven months, and I asked this question uh, not to single anyone out and not to, uh, to try to raise up any family issues, but because in the course of trying to be with people and minister to people, I've heard some interesting stories about being together all the time now, dads and moms working at home. Uh, I've been doing that as well. And uh, I enjoy it, although I'm probably a bit less productive than I might be otherwise. I've heard stories all over the place of uh, couples enjoying the extra time, then maybe not so much enjoying the extra time, and then being undecided about the extra time, and all the above.
We'll give it just another second here to see if we can get everyone in. Now, I don't have an agenda here. Now, I want you to know all these questions. I don't have an agenda. I'm actually very curious. I don't know how any of this is going to go. I haven't premeditated any of this. I haven't. Uh, it could go either way. All right. You feel more connected or less connected than you were seven months ago? We are. That's good news, I think. Overall, more connected, almost less connected, almost the same, and uh, about a quarter of us, a fifth of us are undecided. I think that's fairly good news overall, although I think it's interesting that more or less are almost the same. So there's a little bit of both across the board. I think that's to be expected. We're all in different places in life, all uh, doing different things, all different family dynamics. I think that's rather uh, to be expected. Now, my next question I want to ask you gets a little bit different, but in the same vein. Do you feel more connected or less connected to God than you felt seven months ago? And once again, I'll leave this open a little bit. In hearing people's relationship with God, it has also been very much in my experience, all over the place. People have, in some ways, felt more connected personally, less connected in some ways. We would hope that it would be more. Obviously, this is a time that we have uh, been able to have maybe a few less distractions. Maybe it's more time, arguably, or not. We'll give it just a few more seconds here. We almost have everyone. See if we can get all 47 people who are tuned in. What do you think the answer is going to be? All right, that's 100% actually people tuned in. Do you feel more or less connected to God than you felt? That's actually very, very good. But I want you to notice that they're not all that far apart either. Overall, the people who are tuning in feel more connected, and that's awesome. I'm very, very gratified to hear that and very happy to hear that. And I have been praying over the last seven months that you and your personal relationship with God is indeed flourishing. But the thing about polls is that even if there's uh, a quote-unquote winner in a favorable category, you still have to take account of the other ones. Over half the people who responded either said less connected or they're not really sure. Last week, we talked about the concept of the temple, that the temple in the garden, the temple in uh, the tabernacle, the temple in Jerusalem is where God's space and human space meets, interconnects, overlaps, and interlocks. That's where certain things happen. Now, God is omnipresent, obviously. He's everywhere in the world. Uh, we see that in Jacob's vision where he basically says, wow, I had no idea God was here too. That's amazing. But there are certain places to where certain things happen that don't happen in other places. And those are called, all through Scripture, temples. They're where God's presence 
is a hot spot, if you will, if you want to use the term from, from something we know. It's a place to where he intentionally works. It's a place where humans can come and do things that you can't do other places. They're a place to where human space and God's space overlaps, interlocks, and meet. And we talked about how last week that in Haggai's day, the people had come back from Babylonian exile for 70 years, and they had focused on rebuilding their houses, their way of life. And Haggai says, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. May I take pleasure in it and be glorified. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Because of my house that lies in ruins, the Lord says, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought, bad things, bad things, bad things. Now what he's referring to here, this is all by way of review, but it's important today. What he's referring to here is that in essence he's saying that by returning to Jerusalem and not focusing on the temple, you are breaking the covenant which your ancestors made with me. It's the same as if someone in a family, if one spouse cheated and the other spouse left them back in the house, it's as if they were stayed in the room the whole time didn't really focus on the relationship, kind of ignored the other spouse and just hoped it would be okay. It's a broken covenant. And God is not doing this out of selfish vanity or conceit, but he's doing it because the temple is the very center of Jewish life. It's where family, it's where religion, it's where politics, it's where uh, civic duty, it's where every aspect of life is centered around. It's not like how we view our church footing today. It was the very center of everything. For a Jew, the temple was everything as far as fill in the blank. That's why the Leviticus Code, the Levitical Code, is so comprehensive. Not that it's rules and rules and rules and rules and rules and rules, but it's the fact that God is trying to tell his people that holiness, be holy as I am holy, permeates every aspect of life. The temple was the center, and by not rebuilding it, they were in essence saying, God, what you are representing and what you do for us and you in general is not that important. So we turn to the end of Haggai chapter 1 and they get busy and they rebuild it. And then Haggai chapter 2 comes along. I want to skip this. <laughs> but then Haggai 2, chapter 2 comes along. Let me read a couple of things that are interesting about said temple. And read with me if you want, or you can read up here on the screen. Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, as Casey read. I'm not going to read it all necessarily, but I want to focus on one or two things. He says, starting in verse 3, Who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, the king, the son of David, who is tasked with re rebuilding the temple, declares the Lord. Oh, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, O you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant I made with you when you first came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. And we had talked last week, and I got my slides a little bit out of order, see if we can do this. We had talked a little bit last week about the importance of the fact that Jesus came as the renewed temple, and therefore we, through the Holy Spirit, are now the temple of God, both the church as a collective body and also us as individuals. And we talked about how to care for our 
temple, as it were. We talked about the importance of intentional, penitent prayer. Being able to not only just pray for things in reactionary terms, but to look ahead and pray for our development and well-being in our church. We talked about the importance of loving yourself as well as your neighbor, the fact that you cannot fulfill that unless you are actually loving and caring for yourself. Now, it can get selfish eventually, everything can, but to take time to work on your own mental health, emotional health, recreation, that's a good way of taking care of the, of the temple, as it were. And we talked last week, finally, um, about the importance of caring for others. And I challenged you last week to do an act of intentional care for someone to build up the communal temple. See, the thing is, we can do that, and we still can be in the same predicament as the people in Haggai's day. Solomon's temple was amazing. Maybe not so lofty by today's standards, but you can see even up here, this is a football field, this is the whole temple court, this is the temple in it. It's a little over half the size of a, of a football field, 50 yards. It was almost five stories tall, it was ornate, it was covered in gold on the inside, the finest cedars from Lebanon. It was an astounding piece of architecture. And it was destroyed. And so the people are coming back, and they rebuild the temple, but yet it's nothing like it was. And there are some people, apparently, who remember what it was, remember what it was like, if I can put a modern-day colloquialism in there. Remember the good old days of Solomon's temple. And this ain't it. It wasn't just the fact that it was smaller. It wasn't just the fact that it wasn't as tall or as wide or the temple courts weren't as big. But I actually was reading some Jewish rabbinic history. They're saying that it wasn't the same because prophecy and the presence of God wasn't there. You see in Ezekiel, right before it was destroyed, Ezekiel records the spirit of God, the Shekinah, the glory of God doing a vertical takeoff out of the temple, and it doesn't come back. In fact, Haggai, Zechariah, no post-exilic prophet ever attempts to say that the Spirit of God ever came back to the temple. And Ezekiel goes on to say the ultimate New Jerusalem when the Spirit returns, but that's getting into something else. The Spirit of God was gone. The prophecy was gone. This isn't a time to where there are no prophets of God. Once Malachi hit for 430 years after that, there was no prophet guiding the people. It wasn't as ornate, it wasn't as inlaid with gold, it wasn't as grand, it, wasn't just, it just wasn't the same. And they struggled with that. Their expectations of what the temple might be, or at least was, were unmet. The morale was low, going, is, I guess we'll make the best of it. But what does God say? He says, be strong, be strong, be strong, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts yet once more, in a little while I will shake the heavens for the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. In this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. Didn't I just say, though, and this is true, no prophet ever says the glory of God ever came back to the physical temple. He doesn't say it comes back now. He says the Spirit's in your midst. 
What does it say? It says, I will fill this house with glory to the greater than it was. What is he saying to the people? He's saying, keep working, because even though the temple is not what you expected, even though it's not what it was, keep working for I am with you. Keep working because there are things that I'm going to do through you. Keep working because, in essence, to, put us, to interpret this a little bit, the temple is important and will be just as important as it was, if not more important, in the future. but not the building. We know that Jesus fulfilled this whenever he came in 1 John 1, 14 says he tabernacled, in essence he templed, he made his dwelling among us. And we talked about this last week already, which is what confused me earlier, in the fact that Jesus became the place Fulfilling this kind of prophecy and many others. Jesus became the place to where heaven and earth met, where God's face and human space overlapped and interlocked, where things happened, where forgiveness could happen and atonement could happen and salvation could happen. And so in a sense, I made the argument last week that the temple was visible wherever and however Christ was walking. That the temple no longer became something that you had to go to, but in essence is God, well, Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. The temple with us. The glory of God with us. Out of that, we looked at a couple things. And the fact that Jesus as the new temple of God fulfilled the completeness of the Sabbath. Now this is not something we're going to spend a great detail in, but I want you to see that the Sabbath was not just the legalistic command for, God, for people to stop working, although it turned into that. What did the Sabbath represent? It represented a spot in time, a place in time, an intentional moment to rest as God rested, in essence to be like God. It represented the time to focus and reorganize your priorities to that God takes ultimate precedence on this day and everything about God takes precedence on this day. Everything. Sabbath was not about just working and then resting because God said. It was about fulfilling what God was trying to do, communing, rest, connectedness, fellowship, and Jesus, when he says is the Lord of the Sabbath, in several passages, he's not just saying that, yes, I trump the authority of the Sabbath. He's saying, I represent as the walking, talking, breathing temple of God. I represent everything that the Sabbath was meant to accomplish. I am now how you come and get peace. I am now how you come and get rest. I am now how you come and are, be and are able to overcome the troubles of the world. I am now how you come and rest in God's grace and goodness. I am now the completeness and fullness of God. That's what we mean whenever Jesus, uh, as the new temple, fulfilled the completeness of the Sabbath. And we see this in the fact that whenever he reads us off in, Ma in Luke 4 from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to the good news of the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying all this is me. And we see when he's Lord of the Sabbath here, I just mentioned, when he does things that by tradition has become unlawful on the Sabbath, he doesn't just say, well, I'm actually more important. He says, 
mercy, not sacrifice. The principles of the Sabbath are ultimately fulfilled in me. That's what makes me Lord of the Sabbath. Not the fact that I'm just more important, but everything the Sabbath represents is in me. But then we also see that the Sabbath marked the coming of new creation. It marked a new week. It marked a time to refresh and reconnect to God and in a sense reorganize your heart and mind for the next week in order that you may be like God for whatever comes. New creation is the theme that we see. And we see this in very visceral ways in the New Testament. For example, in the Transfiguration, this, this is a little... Just what rolled in here. <laughs> As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious <laughs> splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring fulfillment to. And Peter, for time's sake, goes, Whoa! Let me do something worshipful. And Peter goes, and Jesus goes, No. <laughs> this is my son, whom I am chosen. Listen to him. And the voice that spoken, spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. Jesus is the first fruit, Corinthians says, among all of us will be. He's the first fruit. He is the first model, if you will. He's the first incarnation. He's the first example of what all of us in faith are heading to, and that is new creation in God. So in a sense, why is the temple important in the future? Well, because even in the future, just like it was in the past, Jesus, as the temple, was the place where space, time, and matter were completely reprioritized, were completely met with new expectations, and were completely transformed. The space around Jesus, no longer did you have to go to the temple, the space around Jesus became holy ground. Jesus' priority of time, how he connected, how he refreshed, what he did, how he spent his time, was changed. And the very things around us, ourselves eventually, and our work in the world is changing the very world around us, beginning with ourselves. Now, obviously there are some limitations to the fact that we don't go around able to heal the sick. I don't know the last time you ever glowed. Some of you are more shiny than others, but that's, I don't know. You know, there's an old saying, uh, you know, never mind, I won't, I won't. I'm going to go off on a joke, and I don't need to go on the joke. Jesus, in essence, used everything around him to stand out. And everything around him spoke to the fact that he stood out. So what's the point? Once again, I want to ask a question. And once again, I don't premeditate anything. I don't know how this would go. It may change the sermon. I may finish early. I'm like, oh, none of you need to hear this, so that's fine. But I have a prediction. Hopefully I haven't biased anyone. Get ready. Here's the question. I'm saying, I'm prepping this, so that way you have a chance to think about it. What is a word or words describing how you feel concerning coming to or participating in church ministries or activities, in essence, church stuff in general, at this moment? Think about it for a second. What is a word or words describing how you feel concerning coming to or participating in church ministries or activities, church stuff in general, at this moment? Obviously, there are some here, there are some not. Whenever you hear about 
a way to serve a church, whenever you hear about the ministry is still going on, how do you feel? All right. And I actually want to remain a little bit quiet around this because I want us to dwell on this and, and think about it. And I, like I said, I have no idea how this is going to go. This is a word cloud, so what happens is that you write your words and stuff will pop up here, and words that are repeated will be bigger. And actually, after you've put in some words, feel free to turn to your neighbor, feel free to turn those around you, and just see what they said, or see what you said, and have a dialogue about it. We'll wait until we get most of the people uh, on here. just another few seconds. I have a prediction how this is going to go. I think there'll be, like last week if you were here, I think there'll be quite a few people saying, entering quote-unquote in the positive. But I think, and that's, I could go either way, I could be wrong, this is just my inkling. I think there'll be a lot of the smaller words around it that are, as we might say, negative. That's my inkling. We'll see if I'm right in just a few seconds. All right, let's see what we said. And this is your words, not mine, so who knows? Oh. You see what stands out right there in the middle? Hopeful, excited, joyful, there's happy, good. But yet also look what's big. Cautious, anxious, worried, disappointed, confused, frustrated, Cautiously, heartbroken, longingly, uplift, anticipating what would Jesus do? <laughs> Uncomfortable, apprehensive. <laughs> I like this one up here. Depends. Strengthened, hesitant, concerned, insecure, humbled, unsafe, crucial, proud, eager, exhausted, apathetic. Over here. Once again, these are your words, 
Not mine. What does this mean? It means that our expectations, what church life is like, now are all over the place. It means that our expectations, I think, need to be adjusted to adjust for the fact that there are just as many people ready to jump into the water as there are people hanging back and unsure who are maybe looking at what it was and either going, ah, oh, the good old days, or I don't want to go back to that. There's some dialogue to be had about this, and I don't want to read into these. These are just what they are. But what I do notice here, cautious, apathetic, fearful, concerned, disappointed. From my talking with the congregation over the last seven months, my read is that people want to, but they're not sure how, and a lot of people are feeling in a rut. A lot of people are looking at what things were and how things have gone and said, you know what, I just don't know what to feel right now. That's what apathetic literally means. It has, says to have no feeling about it. In fact, I was talking to someone yesterday, and he said, I feel really, uh, what was it, what's the word he used? I feel in a schmuck about church stuff. Now, I don't know what that means, and I had to be careful saying it, but he's basically saying that I don't know what to do. It's the same thing that Haggai's day dealt with. The fact that they've done this, they have reached something, they have attained something, and yet morale is low and they don't know where to go. Apathetic. I want to offer you three suggestions on things for all of us to do. And whether or not you answered in the positive or negative, quote unquote, these are all things to be aware of because there are people around you who are probably feeling all sorts of things that you may not be feeling. I recommend and I challenge you today to change as the new temples of God, to change your expectations for the space around you. Now, no, I don't mean Star Trek or DeBoligo or, you know, Den Mars or anything, but I mean the very space in which you occupy, especially if you are feeling concerned, apathetic, disappointed, not sure if you're in that category. Why does this matter? The temple was where heaven and earth met. Everything was different around there. The, the places and the things that Jesus did, the way he organized where he went and how he interacted with people, led to and led from his relationship with God. So I challenge us today, how can we reorganize and re-change our, re-change, change our expectations for the space around us? I don't know what that means to you. How do we do that at home? How do we reorganize our bedroom, our kitchen, our bathroom, anything to connect with God, to change the expectations of what has been or what is, and lead them to a healthier place. There's a woman I know who would actually paste, uh, she uh, glued the fruit of the Spirit around her bathroom mirror. And every time that she would get up in the morning, she would get up and she would go through and say, today I will be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, Self-control. I know someone else did the same thing, but with the armor of God. And as they were getting dressed, they would literally put on the armor of God when they got out and they got up and went out for the morning. How can you, how can we, if we're not sure about 
quote-unquote church stuff, how can we care for our temple to change the expectations of the space around us? Number two, how can we change their expectations for time? Now, I don't just mean, because this isn't an option right now for some people, to devote the time on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights to church stuff. That's kind of been blown out the window for a while. I'm not saying that's not important, but I'm saying that's not what we're talking about. Jesus made priority of his time as a temple to keep that relationship strong, and he used the priority of time to reflect his mission. Whenever he saw someone in need, he didn't say, eh, I'll get to you later, I'm on my way somewhere. He made sure that that was what was important. He made sure that people were seen. He made sure that, that things were accomplished that led to the fulfillment of his mission as he went. We talk about the gospel being the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but all that is also filtered through his three years of ministry. How can we as the temple of God change our expectations for our time especially in lieu of what they were and what they are not now. To increase our relationship as a temple of God with him. And finally, indeed, how can we change the matter around us? Now, this one was a little bit tricky to find a graphic for. How can we change our expectation of the stuff, the money, the cars, the houses that we have? based on our situation. There are people who are not comfortable with being around people. That's fine, but how can you change the expectation of what your stuff and what your possessions and things are to be used for in order that your temple is cared for and is more reflective of the place where heaven and earth meet? It's important, and I want to go back to this image. A little yeast works through the whole batch of doses, Galatians 5.9. We, as individuals, make up the larger body of the church. We, as individual temples of God, make up the larger communal body of God. And two things. One, if we are feeling stuck or apathetic or we're feeling like we're, we're, we're not able to rise to the expectation of what things were or we're scared of going back to what they were, we can change our space, our time, and the way we use the things around us ourselves. And not only does that change our relationship, but it begins to permeate the whole if it's a healthy thing or not if it's not a healthy thing. Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of what a temple was on earth. We are to be in his image. So the challenge for us, like the people staring at the temple and wondering, what now? We also must keep working, even in the midst of unmet expectations, but we have the advantage of being able to control what we can and trust that God, with his spirit in us, will still yet work through us to fulfill his mission but he will do it with us, choosing to do that same mission as well. I challenge you today to work on your own temple. And we'll talk next week about why that matters in the long run. Heavenly Father, be with us as we try to fulfill your word for us. Be with us as we try to be the people you want us to be, and be with us as we try to challenge ourselves and let your spirit challenge us in order to be the people that we can be in you. Help us to renew our spiritual eyes to see the space around us, the time we have, and the possessions that we own in new light. And begin, especially if we feel stuck or apathetic or uncertain, begin through your grace and power 
to reorganize them to reflect the temples that we are. With your spirit in us and with your mission ahead of us, let us be the church that we can be in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.